You're listening to Adma's Brightest Minds, where we hear from the world's brightest marketing, advertising, media, data, and analytics minds. I'm Brooke Hemphill. Today, we're talking data science. Some of the data challenges that we see at NASA and you might hear people talk about when they talk about big data or data science and things like that. And those are how do we deal with the increase in volume, some of which are to the tune of like 700 terabytes of data per second. That's Chris Matman, the first ever principal scientist in the area of data science at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or JPL as he calls it. While his work spans the realms of astrophysics, Earth and planetary sciences, Chris says the problems he's trying to solve aren't all that different to those of data scientists across the world, even the ones who work for commercially driven organizations. Well, at, at first blush, they do seem kind of different, but when you start to break the problem down, you know, it's that person that's working at Yelp or a food review site or a business site, or they're working for a social networking company. They do very similar things to what our data scientists do. The types of differences are in things like the data format. They deal with a lot of tabular data or unstructured text or structured geolocations and views and things like that. And we deal with a lot of structured data measurements and observations over space and time and things like that. But at the end of the day, like, Besides the data formats, the ways that you analyze it are actually very similar. You know, whether you're doing an averaging of measurement data collected over time in the Western US or in Australia, or whether you're averaging, you know, the amount of times that people have expressed that they gave a four star rating to a restaurant or something like that, you know, it's still the same statistical and mathematical techniques, you know, that people are using to analyze and make sense of the data. Having a NASA business card sounds a bit like a dream, but for Chris, it's all in a day's work. I love it. I've been here for 16 years. I was hired as a pup out of university. <laughs> you know, I was a little a kid, you know, I was like 18 or 19 when I started working here. Just walking around JPL, it has a real university campus feel. JPL is built into the, the mountains, walking out of Flint Ridge near Pasadena, which is about 15 to 20 minutes northeast of Los Angeles. So we're right in the San Gabriel Mountains. I mean, every three or four months, you know, there's a different huge news crew and event here, CNN or, you know, whatever. That's just the people that are here and, you know, creating the buzz. So there's that, you know, all the way from walking to go get lunch one day and seeing Samuel L. Jackson, you know, walking around or Matt Damon, you know, just these people that are here to visit things. So it's got that type of cool LA type of atmosphere. If sightings of Matt Damon are too mainstream for your liking, there's also tech royalty on campus. You walk around and you see the guy who invented, you know, one of the most famously used compression algorithms, or you see Mohawk guy who became sort of a national sensation, at least here in the US. And yeah, I mean, it's that. It's like, wow, I'm standing among giants. Chris himself is something of a giant in his field and is often called upon to lend expertise to other projects. I got involved in a project through our Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, in 2014. Well, actually I got involved in one in 2012. It was called XData, and the program manager for that project was a guy named Chris White. And he was like a data guy that had just come back from Afghanistan. He's a computer scientist. and. Out in the field, he kind of established a data team out there and did a lot of the like intelligence data processing. It was very unstructured. They had to turn it around in real time to provide sort of 
knowledge to the generals at the time. He came back to the U.S. and he's like, you know, why can't I take this software that we are using to process data out in the field and reuse it on another government program? And he found out basically the, the business of government contracting, how that's actually very hard. You tend to have to pay the same companies over and over again to reuse software. And so he started a program called DARPA X Data. It was an effort to basically democratize the building of analytics and visualization software for the government. And so I became part of that program. And then Chris White started another project before he left DARPA in 2015, and the other one was called Memex. Memex, the goal was to have a similar philosophy, to have open source software and to you know go out and find the people who are working and doing cool stuff with open source. What was happening at the time was in 2014, a couple different kind of legs of a tripod started to emerge. The first was that bad people uh, used the public internet, but sort of in an obfuscated way, and we'll call that the deep web, to like uh, traffic human beings you know, for labor or for sex. They did arms trafficking or they did counterfeit electronics and things like that. And then they also, there was the invention of a new internet on a new protocol called Tor, T-O-R, or the Onion Network Routing. And Tor is like, was originally invented by the military as sort of a secure communication, an anonymous communication technique in the field. What people started to use Tor for was to build new a new internet that required a special browser, and they started to build websites. And so some people, a lot of people used it for good, but because it was so secure and anonymous, and things like that, people started to use it for bad. Very anonymous, decentralized bad guy network that was out there. And then you had a set of data analysis people, people involved in open source. And so the program brought those people together. And Chris White's goal at the time under this Memex program was to shed light into the deep and the dark web and help the government track them and, you know, stop them and help law enforcement, you know, go after these people. This is one of the many side projects Chris is currently working on and is testament to the growing demand for skilled data scientists. The techniques, the technologies, just the skills of knowing how to provide the decision makers sort of value out of their, you know, corpus of data that they've been collecting or, you know, want to collect in the future. Uh, yeah, these are very powerful skills that are well sought after. With this surgence in the fields of data and analytics, forget about the stereotype of people hiding in dark rooms tapping away at their computers. The people that we tend to see, you know, be very successful are people that kind of get out there in the community that go to sort of tech meetups that are aware of what other people are doing and figure out ways to sort of stand on their shoulders rather than cutting out their legs. For those looking to break into the field or even take their career to the next level, Chris says the key is teamwork. Get involved in these open source projects don't just solve really hard, cool problems on your own where no one knows about it and you know they won't care even after you solved it because they were never involved. Become part of a team, start building your reputation in the community you know, by just getting more involved. I think that's there's a real big opportunity for that. And then that way, the more you do it open source, the more your work is reusable, the more it transitions, if you transition from a domain, from a job, you know, to a different set of problems, things like that. If you're dreaming of working alongside Chris at NASA, he has a few words of encouragement. If that was their dream, my advice would be to go for it. You know, we have scientists and computer scientists from all over the world that come here. And so if it's your dream, 
work hard, you know, at what you're doing and JBL or NASA would love to have them and we're really interested in what they can contribute and things like that. And yeah, my advice would be get involved early, you know, at the university level. If you're working with a company now, we even do things like SBIR, which are small business innovation and research grants and things like that, which can sometimes get you, you know, uh, underneath the tent, if you will. Thank you for joining us for ADMA's Brightest Minds podcast. Stay tuned for more Brightest Minds coming soon.